Welcome to the Fire Podcast. I'm Ryan Rhodes. And if you're hearing this message, it's because you've selected one of our episodes from season one of the Fire Podcast. My wife and I, we used to live in Columbus, Ohio before we did. Uh, this podcast was launched and it was run by Jeffrey Hawthorne and Nick Hawthorne. They did a wonderful job. Uh, really thankful for those guys. And since then, we have moved out to Seattle, Washington. We uh, now feel like it's time to relaunch this podcast. And so if you want to hear the newest content, you'll want to jump to the relaunch, which is episode 14. Uh, if not, definitely stay, listen to this content. It's full of great speakers and rich content. You'll probably laugh uh, a few times along the way. Those guys are hilarious, and I uh, hope it blesses you. Also, if fire has impacted you in any way and you, you love what we do, uh, please consider supporting us either one time or monthly. Uh, you can go over to firemovement.com slash support uh, to to give there, um, and we appreciate any any kind of support. We're really thankful for you guys. Also, please share. Um, share these episodes with your friends. Share with us what God's doing through this, how these are speaking to you. I'd love to connect with you and hear a little bit more of your story. Uh, and so send us an email, send us a message, connect with us through social media, however you'd like, but I'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the episode. I will wait. I will seek. I'm not here to maintain what needs increased. I've made my heart an altar for your fire. For your fire. Welcome back the fire podcast we are here for part two with ryan and milka rose on their mexico trip the end of 2017 beginning of 2018 so in this episode we will actually dive into their trip to what actually happened when their feet hit the ground but before we get into that ryan and milka i do want to know what was the best and worst thing that you tasted there <laughs> when you were in mexico well <laughs> Uh, for me, I think the best thing was when um, the Hogan's made this carne asada, like steak, and it had like all these amazing fresh sides, avocado, mm. tomato. Oh, it was so good. So yeah, that was probably my favorite. And they also make the spicy, like, I don't know what you would call it. You know that spicy stuff they had on the table all the time? Oh, that was so good. It was like flavorful. chili oil stuff. Yeah, it was like chili oil, but it was delicious. So That was your best. What was your worst? My worst was probably pigskin. <laughs> so I tried pigskin with lime and salt <laughs> uh, because that's one of David Hogan's favorite things. It still so had the hair on it. It still had hair on it. Who knew pigs had hair? <laughs> and so I tried it, and the texture was just too Was much it crispy? Right. No, it was really flabby and wiggly. <laughs> it wasn't too bad. I mean, I like most things there, so it wasn't too bad, but that yeah. was probably the worst. Yeah, the best thing I had was we had some, I think it was chicken or pork with this mole sauce that had a little bit of spice. It was the spiciest one we had, but it was so good. Oh, that was delicious. I think that was my favorite. Um... That was up with the natives. And then I think the worst thing I had, well, during the trip, the worst thing I had was Whataburger. Um, <laughs> and 
I got my order totally wrong. And Is that I, at an airport in Texas? Yeah, in okay. Houston. It was gross. Um, but in the trip was probably, I think I had some stomach lining. That's what Corbin called it in my meat that I had to eat through. And so he mm-hmm. just kind of pushed through it. Yeah. Because you have to eat everything. You gotta honor. Yep. <laughs> Not honor the food. All right, so we can go ahead and jump in. Uh, so let's go back at least, what, about a month before you guys are on this trip. 11-11. We are, yeah, 11 11. We go to Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, and there's a guy on Randy Clark's team who's given out he's given out words from the platform. So you want you want to introduce that, and then we'll yeah. be able to play the yeah, word. So, so we went back to that church again. Um, they had right. Randy Clark coming in, and he had this guy on his team. So he looks over to our section, and he said, "There's somebody in this section with something for Mexico. We stand up, um, and then you'll hear in the beginning of the word. She's answering. He's like, "What? What's your involvement with Mexico?" Which Obviously, obviously, she's Mexican. Um, but anyways, you'll hear her answer. Um, doesn't really tell him anything about our trip. He doesn't. This guy doesn't know us. Doesn't know anything. We didn't know who he was either. Um, but he then systematically hit every single. In 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 twenty seventeen, God had given us very specific words of what we would do in in Mexico, what our involvement with with Mexico would be. Um, words encounters dreams and he hit one by one it won't make as much sense to just the average listener Mm -hmm. Um, we don't really have time to break all of it down but some of it was stuff that literally and jeff can attest to this like we literally had talked about in the car on the way there um the stuff that god had been teaching us and that sort of thing and he references it in this word it was the most precise word i'd ever experienced yeah it was the same with me so the recording actually comes from my phone because he said um, I knew he was giving out words, so I just had it ready. And then he said, there's someone in this section. And I knew it was someone in our group. I felt like this wind come through our, our row. And then he calls out Mexico. And then we're like, oh, snap, like it's right in Milka. So I start recording then. So it's like two seconds after he initially says it. So you hear him like, what's your um, what's your deal with Mexico? And she's like, I'm Mexican. We're going there next month. So we'll go ahead and play that right now. And so that's why the quality is kind of poor because it's just straight up off of my phone. But it was literally the most precise word and accurate word that I've, I've ever heard in my life. He's just hitting like every single thing that, you know, that I personally know is going on in their lives that this guy has no idea. Someone we have never met. So we're going to go ahead and play the word. I was born in Mexico okay. and we are actually going to Mexico next month. Um, okay. All right. Um, lift your hands. I feel like there's a commissioning in this moment for both of you. There's people next to you. Just extend your hands that way. Uh, Father God, I just bless them in the name of Jesus, and I just declare a break for anointing over them, on them, and moving through them in the name of Jesus. And I see over you, there's like, uh, the, the young lady, there's there's like a whirlwind over your head, and, 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 and the Lord is going to use you to stir up and to drive out the darkness and actually establish His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I saw like these things that have been established in the earth that were setting themselves up against God, actually being destroyed. There's a spirit of prophecy on you. Zerubbabel with a, with a sword in one hand and with a, a, a trowel in the other. And God's 
given you the ability to war. Uh, there's even like this the strategy that he's given you in the night for how to war over the principalities and the powers and the strongholds. And I even saw the, 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 the drug cartels being undermined. So, yep, that was the word. You can hear that, how just powerful and accurate that was and just how, like, ministering that was to them and also us that were just traveling with them because we knew what was going on in their lives. So, like, how did that kind of just set you guys up for, for what was coming? Yeah, I mean, there was so much. Uh, there's the point when he goes into the ministry of David Hogan that our ministries were coming together right. and he said, it's holy, it's holy, it's holy. When he said that, the tangible fear of the Lord fell in the room, like, so much so. It was such a weight that fell in the room that people literally gasped, and you can hear that like people gasping and stuff. Right. Um, and so that, that to me, um, I think for both of us, really, it, it made this more real of like, this isn't just a, a cool trip or another cool, you know, like the different opportunities that had come up in the last two and a half years were cool opportunities. And, you know, they were setting up stuff, but it felt like this was, there was a weight to this that there wasn't on the other things. Um, and that began to put a healthy fear of the Lord. I wasn't, I never had fear about going to be down there with the cartels and everything going on. Um, but I was like, this fear of the Lord was on the trip of like, okay, this is serious. Like, what what are we going for? And that led us to, to start to ask that question. Like, God, what is this for? What are, you know, and some of it's in the word, but it's like, this is, you're doing so much. You've done so much to set up this moment. What? How do we prepare ourselves? What? What are we going for? What are we going to come back with? And I had an open vision r- randomly. I wasn't focused on anything spiritual, and I went into this open vision um, a few weeks before the trip, and I was completely in Mexico, and it um, just I was in in this vision, full full sensory experience, and we were arriving in Mexico, and David comes up to us and he said. Uh, what do you want while you're here? And I said, break us for the gospel, David. Break us for the gospel. And I really, you know, that that once again hit me with the fear of the Lord. But I feel like that's what happened is we went down there and um, and we were broken for the gospel. But also this trip was like, we travel pretty often and God always comes through with money. We don't do Kickstarters or anything. We don't go around begging people for money. Um and we just were pretty, we're pretty open and vulnerable with like where we're at and, you know, that sort of thing with the people close to us. But um, this is, and, and money just always comes in. This trip was so hard. It was such a rough, um, even buying our flights and stuff, we were at the point where we needed to and we felt like God said to do it and we barely had the money um, and it was for bills. And so instead we put, instead of paying our bills, we put money towards this, which I don't recommend unless God says. Um, so we did that and, you know, the next day somebody walks up and gives us a $500 check unrelated to Mexico, um, which <laughs> paid our bills. And so we got our plane tickets, our bills were paid, and we found out the flight would have been sold out that we needed. Wow. So it was stuff like that. But right, that yeah. word, getting that word on November 11th is what sustained us through the time yeah. and got us to Mexico. So we got there, we flew out Christmas Day, um, 
So, Which was nuts because... Great Christmas gift, right? Oh, it was the best Christmas gift. I felt like it was God directly speaking to me through that. And mm-hmm. when I was at the airport, I mean, I was weepy the whole time. I, I was bawling my eyes out as soon as the airplane was taking off. It was just such such a moment for me. And it really felt like God was just like, this is my gift to you. I, I love you. Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, oh. You, and you, you started the year being able to travel for the first time yes. in a long time, in a couple decades, and then getting in the year in Mexico. So you okay. still got that trip. It wasn't it wasn't like you didn't get to go to Mexico. Yeah. It was also you get to end the year of 2017, but you get to start the year of 2018 there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we were there through the third. We were there. It was 10 days total. Um, so we had New Christmas and New Year's in Mexico, which is pretty cool. That was awesome. Yeah, so we uh, we flew in, got in, um, you know, we had some interactions with some cartels as soon as we got there, um, which that was the only part that was ever scary, I think, and it was mainly because we were separated, like, they, it was through the immigration process, and we got looked over by some cartel members, and they were talking about us, um, but we were not together, and that was... That was my biggest concern because I couldn't communicate with her what was going on, and I didn't know if she was noticing what was happening. Um, but Holy Spirit had spoken to both of us, and it was just like... The exact same thing. Yeah, get out as soon as possible. And so we did. Um, did that, got out, and as soon as we did, our shuttle pulled up, and we got in and left. Um, other than that, we you know we got followed a couple times, but never felt I never felt afraid uh, at all mm-hmm. with any of that. Like There was a fear... In the airport, there was a fear that was more of a healthy kind of fear that was like, um, not fight or flight, but kind of like that, where it was like, no, you actually need to be alert and, and move. Um, and so it was that kind of fear. Um, but other than that, I never experienced even the emotion of fear or anything. Um, and David Hogan's like, we're being followed <laughs> and stuff like that. Or at one point, we trans we were transporting a lot of money. And he's like, he's like, just so you know, anyone out here would take this money to cut your head off. And, um, and he's like, so we're just gonna, we're not stopping. We're just going to go. And he just, we we drove so fast down these crazy roads. Um, but basically we got down there and he, we didn't know what to expect at all. We didn't know for, is this a missions trip? Are we, you know, are we going to be preaching places? Are we going to be praying for people? Are we coming just to sit with him and his family and celebrate the holidays? Like we, we literally had no idea. We didn't even know if we were going to see him very much. I kind of figured we wouldn't. Um, I thought we would be with um, his son Jody, who kind of runs most of the ministry for him, um, and that sort of thing. And and it was not that at all. We got there, and he immediately came out and welcomed us, and gave us a tour. And everywhere we went, he's like, "You're with me," and it's awesome. It was so beautiful. He's such a father, and I mean, as soon as we got there, we immediately felt the love of the father through him, and just him taking us around his home and giving us a tour it was i remember him saying i really want you to have a wonderful experience while you're here he looked at me and said that to me he said i want you to see that there are people here who love your people and are doing something for this nation and just that alone was like oh my god i just want to cry Cause that alone just wrecked me. I was like, that's been my prayer for 20 years, you right. know? And it was, yeah. yeah. So powerful. That's what I think was the most, most 
impactful thing for us was like he he said to us at one point because we were we were really trying to figure out why why he invited us because he you know I actually have I have friends that have gotten that are amazing people like they're solid people they're not flakes or anything and he's turned them down to go down there um and then we heard him we've heard him address other people and tell them not to come and then for him to just be like you have an open invitation he invites us down he welcomes us into his house he doesn't know us um even the lunch we had with him he talked the whole time you know i got to ask a couple questions but he's one of those people you just kind of shut up and listen right and uh so you know we didn't have any clue why he wanted us down there and and for her, it felt like he explained that he's like, you know, I saw you guys only a few times. He's like, but I knew there was something about you I really liked, and um, and he said for her, he wanted her, he wanted that, he wanted her to see a side of Mexico she'd never seen and see that people actually care. And it felt like that was coming right from Father God yeah. right. when he was saying that. And then for me, he he knew he's like, I knew this would be important to you, and like that you would you would. He was recognizing that we were unhappy with American churchianity and just uh, we wanted something real. And so he wanted us to experience that. And then also for him to kind of recognize in me who I am um, and, and my destiny. And he was he wanted me to see how to do it, how to walk in the apostolic for real. Yeah. And so, it, you know, I've had people recognize the apostolic and and different times and prophets call it out or this or that, you know, but I've never had. And somebody who is an apostle come alongside me and say, hey, let me show you how to be an apostle, how to walk in this. Um, and so that was just such a significant thing. And it just became clear that this wasn't kind of a flippant, you know, him just, oh, yeah, just come down, you know. But it was actually like he had actually thought this out and, and recognized from God, this is why these two need to come down here. And he knew nothing about us. He would say stuff and it's like you, you knew it was the Holy Spirit because there's no way he would have known it about us. Um, but it was it had to do with why why he wanted us there. So, anyways, he just in, invited us into his life. Um, we were just in his world for, mm. you know, those we we spent the first and the last day in a hotel, um, just because they can't be on the roads at night because the cartels run them. So, you know, those days we didn't get to see him, but the other eight days we were just in his world, yeah, part of his life and doing stuff with him and his missionaries down there. Um, so they took us they took us to one house. Um, and when they found out where she was from originally in Mexico, they were actually scared because it's like one of the hubs of the cartels. And they they took him inside. We didn't know this happened, but they had taken him inside to question him on why we why he would bring us to his to these people's house um, because they thought we had cartel connections. And they're like, "You've only met these people a couple times." It's like, "Yeah," and he's like you brought them into your house they're staying with you and he's like yeah and and they're like and you trust these people and he's like yeah i do and they're like okay well then they're our family so they came to us and said this is your home in mexico you're free to come back whenever you'd like um and we didn't know we didn't know the significance of that because you know people in that culture they're so welcoming and they say that like that happened in Honduras in different places. People say, oh, you're always welcome back. Come stay with me. Come see us. Whatever. But we didn't know the backstory of that until after that they had pulled him inside to question him. We saw him get taken inside, mm-hmm. uh, but we didn't know what it was for. And so it was just, it was really beautiful mm-hmm. to see that. And the way he would honor some of what her, her dad, her dad used to be an apostle in Mexico, planting churches in some of the most dangerous cities. Um, 
is where he would do his ministry before he moved to the U.S. and became a pastor here in the U.S. And so David would just honor her dad, and it was just, it was incredible. Wow, so just being like him part of essentially his world for at least those eight days, like what do you see in his lifestyle of him just like being with God and just like knowing the ways of the Lord? Like what, what could you take away or what could you see in his life that's like, I need that, or like that's something that is of God and something that I need to incorporate into my life? Or something that's real. Yeah. Well, he. <laughs> I mean, he could just give you his his lifestyle. He, yeah. And not all of it's just to be mimicked necessarily, but sure. you can get the heart of it because some of it won't work. Some of what he does down there will not work in our world, and so it has to look different. But it's the same heart. Um, but one of the things he gets up every day at like five o'clock or so and prays, and then he goes and runs. Um, he said, "He said you need to be as spiritually or as physically fit as you are spiritually fit." And um, so he he's a firm believer in that. He doesn't he doesn't believe in being sick or being unhealthy. Um, right. He's like you need you need to work out, and he runs miles every day. So you'd hear him out there in the morning. He he also listens to the Bible in Spanish constantly. It's actually annoying because it'll be you'll be in conversation and all you hear is the Spanish <laughs> Bible playing. Uh, the audio, but he listens to the Bible constantly, all, all the, time. the time. And so he's out there running, and you hear him. He's always worshiping God. He's always always acknowledging, and it's not a religion. I've seen people do this religiously where they just mm-hmm. kind of acknowledge, they'll say Jesus or whatever, and it, there's nothing behind it. But when he says, when he'll just say Holy Ghost, or he'll say, come on mercy, or, you know, these, these different phrases, but when he says it, God's on it, and it's him actually, yeah. throughout his day, taking a moment just to acknowledge acknowledge holy spirit it's real it's real yeah and so he does that um he blows the shofar when he gets up uh, <laughs> to announce to hell that he's awake that's awesome <laughs> that's powerful um, yeah so that's one of those things might not work in in this world right in our world <laughs> they'll just piss off your neighbors but yeah so he he does that we had prayer time every morning um and prayer time could look however he would play music. Sometimes he would talk. Um, he would, you know, um, teach us stuff or mm-hmm. worship or whatever. Um, pray in in tongues. It just looked however they felt led at the time, and then we'd pray over the different um, directions, northeast, south, and west, and mm-hmm. blow the shofar, and that's how they'd start the day. Um, and then we leave, and he was always, if he said 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock, it always meant 15 to 45 minutes earlier than that. Always. <laughs> always. He's always early, um, which is awesome. Uh, it's refreshing, right? Yeah, it's refreshing, and normally it's the opposite. Yeah. Um, Especially in the Mexican culture. Yeah, right. so he's like actually going against that really hard. Um, the other things are, he's just he cares about people in a way I've, I haven't seen before. Like, um, he, he get, getting into his, his, you know, he has a farm, he has a ranch with cows and horses and I think they have chickens and they have, they have a bunch of stuff, pigs and he's got cowboys that he pays. And so he pays them top dollar. He provides all the fresh water for them. He covers their gas bill. Like he's got, he gave them a house on his property. They have a couple houses. He put them on the front of his property. The former owner had them on the back of the property where the cartels would come in and kill them or rape the women or whatever. And but cowboys are a dime a dozen down there. So they didn't care. But when he, when he bought the property, he moved them to the front so that they were safe and he could see everything that was, was happening so that they're protected. And 
he just takes care of people so well. Um, one of the things that he does that he doesn't he doesn't talk about, and I've listened to to him enough to know that this is true. He just doesn't talk about all the stuff he does mm-hmm. um, with taking care of people. He'll tell you all these stories of the power of God and this happened and this miracle, but the man puts so much effort. If if there is and one of the communities that he reaches, which he's got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of churches all over Mexico, but you know he'd point to like, see the mountain range. There's a hundred plus churches up there. See over there, and there's another hundred over there, and wow. everywhere we went. And they've got for hours. You can drive in Mexico for hours, and you're still going to run into his churches. Mm-hmm. Um, but in those places, when there's a widow, you know, of of one of his people. Um, you know, one of his people dies and the, the wife's now a widow and has kids. He comes in and takes care of them. He pays all their bills. He, you know, puts their kids through school. And then if they want to go to college, he pays their way through college. And he just is constantly, he's, he's concerned about the needs of people and he takes care of people. And it's not in a weird codependent way. It's not in a way, um, that enables bad behavior or anything like that. Um, but he just loves people well, and he's just burning for people to know to know Jesus. And so he would would drive, and he's like, "Do you see why I do this?" And he'd look out, and he's like, "See that grandma?" And he's like, "I need her to know Jesus." And then we drive a little bit more, and he's like, "See that guy over there? I need him. I need him to know Jesus." Mm-hmm. And it was real. It was this this burning passion in him for people to know God and to actually find salvation in Jesus, which was uh, very different because that's not. That's not one of the main focuses of the church in America anymore. Um, nor is taking care of the poor, the orphans, the widows. Um, and so we kind of like relegate that off to ministries that we support that do that so that we never have to put our own hands to it. And we need to support those ministries with our money. That's good. But we so disconnect ourselves from having any interaction with brokenness that that's part of the reason we don't see God move. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just, he, he lives his life as a hero and he, he talked to us about that. He said, you know, it's right for you to be a hero to those who know you, that people in your life, they know that because you're in their life, their life, you know, they have hope. Um, he's like, that's right. He's like, you, you know, you just can't, you have to remain humble in that you can't start to worship yourself or anything like that or believe right. you're, you're great. And he also said, you can't let them worship you. And so he's because of how what he carries and how much he's impacted all these people's lives he can't stay in any place very long he can only be there for a little bit because he said they will start to worship me and so he's like you just have to be there long enough to point them to jesus to love them to bring the power of god and then you leave so yeah he's the real deal i mean he i've heard him speak in different messages you know just about the natives and things of that sort but actually being there and seeing him love them so deeply and so humbly was, man, it just, it rocked my world. I just stood there and watched him so many times. And um, I actually took video of one of the times when these two trucks arrived just full of people who were coming to one of the services up in the mountains and um, they're jumping off this truck and he's waiting there for all of them like each one of them as they're jumping off he's hugging them he's shaking their hand he's joking around and laughing with them and you could tell like he has relationship with these people he's not just talking about it and 
you know, I feel like a lot of times we talk about we should do this, we should do that, we we need to take care of the poor, the widows, and all that stuff. He's doing it, you know, mm-hmm. and seeing the way that he was loving these people and how happy they were anytime he would, like, pat them on the back or crack a joke with them, it was powerful, and that spoke a lot to me. Um, yeah, it was just, it was beautiful getting to see that and seeing it in my country and really seeing that he's taking care of them. He's not just saying that. he He's taking care of them, and they love him. They love him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one thing to, to talk about or, like, teach them about Jesus and this is how he loves, but it's another thing to actually be an example of what that looks like and to show them yeah. and not let them be dependent on, like, the government or someone else. Like, I think that's the big issue we have here is we look to the government to do things that it's the body's job to do. Yeah. And when you're someone, you actually have an example of someone out there doing that. It's just like completely powerful and incredible. So like how, what like lessons did he teach you about the apostolic or like just how, how he built this or like how he was able to, to forge ahead in this and build, you know, a network of thousands of churches from just like not even knowing what Mexico was when he was called. Yeah. Um, well, first, uh, you know, one of halfway through our trip, another group of people arrived and one of them was a missionary from Iris Ministries, which is Heidi Baker's ministry, which they have the fastest growing missions movement in the world. And so I was asking questions about how they do things. This this guy, he's grown up there his, since he was like six or seven. He grew up in Mozambique. And he said, you know, you're asking questions about Iris. He's like, but this is the most real thing happening on the planet is what's happening here. Um, and and <laughs> he's like, we all look to David Hogan and his ministry. And so um, not to take anything away from Heidi, but that's that's what he said. So yeah, I mean that he he does things as family. Um, it's not a it's not some kind of, some kind of weird government structure or business structure. Um, he's not a CEO. He's he's the grandpa, and um, he runs it like like he's the grandpa of the family. I mean, how you don't see a whole lot of ministries that have three generations, but he has him, his son, and his his grandson are all his grandson's twenty and you know, riding motorcycles through the mountains, preaching the gospel by himself. Like it's, it's just amazing. Um, and they're all in it. Like they're, they're in, in the work. Um, they're not, you know, it's not like, well, I want to go do my own thing. It's just like, what? where else would I go? This is, this, this is where I I belong. This is where I've grown up. So, um, but yeah, they do it as family. Um, I think one of the most impactful things with that is, there's no politics. There's no church politics or anything like that. Everything's very upfront. They're very um, about confrontation. And if you have an issue with somebody or or something to say, you say it and you you get it out in the open and you deal with it. And you know, one of the things he he came to me and he they had just had a couple guys had had a disagreement or whatever. And he said, "Did you see that?" And I was like, "Yes, sir." And he's like. Um, he said, you know, respect goes a long way. He's like, these, these guys, the reason I can talk to them like this is they know I love them. And, you know, that is one of the elements that I think is missing in the American church is it's really because of the way everything is religiously, we don't ever get into that place of love where you just absolutely know that somebody at the end of the day, they would give their life for you. Um, and that's how he, they, any of them know that, you know, one of his things is, if they're going in an area and he thinks they're going to die, he makes sure that they know that he gets the first bullet. Like he won't let somebody else in his team die first. And, and that kind of leadership creates an environment where you are like, yeah, 
I, you know, I don't, I don't agree with you right now, but I'm listening. I'll listen to what you say. And so he said, respect goes a long way. He's like, they don't agree with me. And actually he's like, a lot of times they disagree with me to the hilt. He said, but they, they submit to what I say because they know my way works and they know that, um, that they can trust me and that I have their best interests at heart. And even he, he always, he has such a balance, which really blew me away. Mm -hmm. He had balance with everything, but he was like, He's like, you know, their way actually probably works. They've been trained really well. He said, but their way is the new way and it hasn't been tested yet. Um, and right now I'm in charge and I know my way works. He's like, but when, you know, the day's going to come where it's going to be their way. And he's like, I really believe it'll work. He's like, but they, you know, because they know I've got their, their best interest at heart. They submit to what we're doing. And, um, and they're just, they're also totally sold out. Uh, so there's that. He... He said the focus, you know, the presence of God is the focus of everything. Um, he said part of the issue in the American church and in churches around the world is they get stuck in dead works. And so dead works are, you know, they were once alive. If something's dead, it was once alive. Um, so he said, you know, people don't know how to adapt and, and change as once a work is no longer alive, you move away from it. You don't right. double down on it and try to make it happen because God was once on it. And so he was just saying, he's like, you know, we need to follow the presence. And he's like, right now our, our ministry is in the biggest transition it's ever been in. And it's going to succeed because we're willing to adapt um, and not get stuck somewhere. And so he's, his focus is God being there and the power of God. Um, so that was one of the things he, you know, his, um, his big thing is he said to us, he's like, all you got to do is in, invite people to the table, to the father's table. Yeah, and so everything it really is family, and everyone has a place at his table, including his enemies. And so they've had that happen where the cartels have raided their house, and they've made him a meal and sat down with the cartels or with the military, who are there putting AK forty sevens or machine guns in their face, and you know cussing at him and threatening to rape his granddaughter and sell her on the black market. And in the midst of all that, they make him a meal and sit and have a meal with him. And like that, that level of, of commitment to the love of God is just, uh, incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's another level of love right there to be able to look at someone in the eye and be like, bless you. Yeah. And he knows in your face. Yeah. He had, and he had just been in, in Russia and this was so powerful. He was with Russians and basically they told him, they said the KGB knows you're coming and they've said that you're going to get arrested when you get here. And so they're like, what do you want to do? And he said, well, what do you want me to do? And they said, we still want you. And he said, then I'm coming. And so this was right before, before we got there, he was in Russia. And so he came from Russia, went to, I think he went to Korea and Japan and then came back to Mexico. And so the church members actually stood at the door and linked arms and kept him uh, kept the KGB from coming in, which is incredible. Wow. Um, but the, he just, he preached while they did that, while the KGB was at the door trying to get in, uh, he continued to preach and they said to him, they came up, he said it was super awkward. They came up and started sniffing him and he's like, why are you sniffing me? And they said, they said, you know, we went to California to see, they went to a, a church in California and they said, we went there to see, um, what the Christians are like there. And he's, they said they smelled like chocolate, which I don't know all of what that means, but I know Avery mentioned when I shared this with him, he mentioned Graham Cook talked about chocolate Christians that they, they look good and everything until the heat is on, they melt. 
Wow. And um, so I don't know if they if they knew that or not, but they said that the the Christians in California smelled like chocolate. But they said to David, they they said, "You smell like the blood of Jesus and of martyrs." <laughs> like that's <laughs> man. And that was one of those things that really rocked me. It's like, I want to I wanna smell like the blood of Jesus and of martyrs. I don't want to smell like chocolate or anything else. Yeah. Like, you want to you smell like him. So, it's, it's, the gospel is real to them. And in, in the midst of that, I mean, just to, with that story of their house being raided, they had, his granddaughter's like four years old, and she's adopted. She's Mexican, adopted by his son-in-law and daughter. And they said that to, to the son of his son-in-law, Sean, they said, you know, um, we could, we could all rape her and sell her on the black market. And he looked him in the eyes and said, yes, you could. And my Jesus would still forgive you. Wow. And like that, that just, that rocks me. I can't imagine having a little girl and, and having people threaten or rape her and yeah. like right there and sell her on the black market to where I'd never see her again. And to look him in the eyes and say, my Jesus would still forgive you. Yeah, it's another level of, of grace right there to really know Jesus in that way of like this is who he really is and not just say like oh you told a lie or something like that like, yeah. he still forgives you and I forgive you right yeah that's just another level something else yeah something we just don't see in our lives like that yeah and that's why he's he's just there's no compromise there's no backing down um mm-hmm. he also said he said you know in your world you you guys if you're afraid of something, you say it's wisdom to back away from it or not to not mess with it. And he's like, he's like, that's wrong. He's like, that's not right. You, he's like, if you, if that's not wisdom either, he's like, if you, if there's fear, if there's evil, he's like, I'm meant to destroy it. I confront and destroy it. And that was, that impacted me pretty heavily too. It's just that idea. Like you, you confront fear. You don't back away from stuff. And if you're afraid of something, it's probably a good sign you need to confront it, mm-hmm. um, was, was a lot of what he was saying. And he has story after story after story of him doing just that and God showing up. Yeah. Well, I mean, so Jesus came to the earth to do, destroy the works of the devil. Fear is definitely yeah. not from God. So we don't yeah. yield to fear. We attack it. Yeah. <laughs> Go after it. And that's what you just talked about being violent with it. Yeah. And not violent with people, but violent with, with the spirits. Right. The demonic. He has a lot of balance. Where he's very, very violent against evil and the demonic, but he has so much grace and so much mm-hmm. mercy for people, and his heart is just so, so loving and so humble and tender, but at the same time, it's very aggressive against right. evil. Yeah. And just seeing the contrast and and just seeing you know the balance within him and how he operates in his day-to-day um in that was really powerful because he didn't have to talk about it you just saw it and it it marked you it did something to you where it's like i don't have to be extreme with grace i don't have to you know in, in the wrong way i don't have to be extreme with you know being rigid about this and that it's like i can have balance and live a life of freedom i I can understand the gospel in its true form and love people but at the same time crush the enemy's head yeah and so that 
well, that it, really it, spoke a lot. It was so simple. Everything, yeah. uh, the gospel was so simple there. Like, I feel like here it's all about revelation. We get new revelation and this and that and revelatory preaching. And, and that's all. It's good. It has its place. But the gospel is just so simple. And it, it, him mm-hmm. and Norval Hayes, when we got his time with Norval Hayes, it was the same thing. They both had a focus on souls and a focus on taking care of the poor, the orphans, the widows, feeding people, like doing these basic things. Those two yeah. focuses were everything to them. And David, he, he specifically said, he looked us in the eye and he said, if you bless the poor, God will bless you. If you curse the poor, God will curse you. Yeah. And that you could feel it within you that that was true. And it's just something God doesn't mess with. And we're, you know, we're supposed to be doing these things to show the love of God. And, you know, one of the guys that's one of his elders now, he's like, he tells us this story. We didn't, uh, we didn't know we were going to get to meet the guy, but we did. Um, he's like, I, you know, one morning I got up and God gave me, I think he got the name of the guy or saw his face or something. And God said, go down to the trash dump and find this guy. And he goes and finds this guy and he tells him, he's like, if you come with me, you'll get out of the situation. And the guy's like, I, he's like, I don't believe that. And he's like, I don't think that's possible for me. And he's like, you know what? I agree with you. That's not possible for you. He said, but if you come with me, with my Jesus, I'll make you a king. And so the guy ends up coming with him. And now this guy has, you know, he got saved and he's just completely transformed. He owns a, a, a business and he has three houses and multiple vehicles. And he's just, he's spreading the gospel like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, this guy lived in a trash dump. He was hopeless. And so, like, that's the apostolic. He, had, he went, he adopted this guy, he took him from being an orphan to being a son, and then taught him how to reign as a, as a son of God. And it's, wow. it's impacted so many people. And, and, and that's how, you know, he's got, his directors are what we would call elders. Um, and these guys are incredible. Um, they're people that everyone here, you would overlook them, you would walk past them on the street, you wouldn't think anything of them. And these guys have all seen 25 or more people raised from the dead. And every single one of them either tried to kill David at some point in the last 40 years, um, and that's how they got saved, is they were trying to kill David, or they were dying, and David prayed for them, and they got healed, or they were dead, and he raised them from the dead, you know. Like, the stories are outrageous, and now they've gone on, and it's not this, like, you know, you achieve this certain spiritual level, and now you can raise the dead. It's just, like, part of their life down there. And the, the other thing is the spirit of death shows himself to people. Every church we went to, just about, they end up, somebody got up and told a testimony of the spirit of death coming to them. And the spirit of death always looked like the Grim Reaper, um, which they've got the Santa Muerte and the Day of the Dead stuff down there. And it's super demonic and not all happy-go-lucky like it is here in the U.S. Like they're trying to make it. But anyways, the like one of the guys we heard about when we got there, he... He saw four people raised from the dead in one week. And so death came and knocked on his door, and as real as you and I are, tangible, skin, everything, and, and came to his door and said, I wanted to meet the man who's stealing people from me. Wow. And it's just like, these are, these are everyday people. These aren't, these aren't the big-name preachers. The, mm-hmm. you know, you've never seen them in a conference or anything. Um, and that was just a common, over and over again, people had stories of death coming to them, one of the guys, he was in a coma for 18 days. I think he was a cartel member and got knifed or something. It was He was dying, basically, or keeping him alive. And on the 18th day, death came to get him. And Jesus stepped in and said, I'm, "He, you can't have him. 
and he wow. woke up and was completely healed. And so it's over and over and over again, this stuff's happening. Um, but people down there, you also have like the cartels. Um, we had two guys from the cartels. One had just gotten saved before we got there. And I got to pray for this guy, and this guy was a killer. He's killed a bunch of people. Um, and he brought a current cartel member with him to church. And this guy, as far as I know, got saved, too, um, by the end of it. But he came, there was two nights that they came back to back. And just their stories are crazy. And those guys are most likely dead by now. You know, since we've gotten back, they're, they're most likely dead because you can't do that. Although some of the cartels, there's different cartels, but some of them will allow you to, to, if you convert to Christianity, they'll allow you to do that because they believe that if you do that, you have to forgive them and you can't go snitch on them. And so, but what they do is you're now watched, like really heavily watched. Mm -hmm. And if you start to backslide, they kill you because then they're assuming you're going to, you know, go tell people about them. So it's like, it's a serious decision either way, either you're going to be watched. And then if you slip up once you're dead or they're just going to kill you right away. And most of the guys get killed within two weeks. And so it's, it, the gospel is real down there in a way it's not, it's not mm -hmm. actively real here to us. And it's because of all of our other stuff and our different focuses and, and all of that. It's not because the gospel lacks anything. It's, it's because we're lacking an understanding of how simple and beautiful the gospel really is. Yeah. yeah I think that's important too, just about the whole um, going after the souls and also just considering the poor because that's I mean you said that's what they really go after and that's what we see in the Bible through yeah. the book of Acts and all of Paul's letters like you know that's the thing that he was eager to do was to go after the souls to go after the souls to go after the souls and then feed the poor and don't forget the widows and that's just what the example that we have from them that David and his team are just you know going after that and pursuing that the same thing with just their compassion for people but then their anger and then they're just like their ferocity to go after like the things of the spirit and to battle that it's like he knows that he's in a war but he also knows that his war isn't with the flesh and blood but it's with the principalities and the powers of the air yeah. and so when he's able to you know to recognize that that's what the reality is he can like you know move in compassion with people and move in grace and move in forgiveness but then also like war with the spirits that are tormenting them mm. and tormenting the region and stuff that's so good. it's right. just it's incredible <laughs> yeah. to see like an actual example of that like right now in the world and the earth and it's encouraging mm -hmm. to know that like also available yeah when you know this was another thing that he talked about one of the one of the days we went to prayer in the morning and he's like he's like well a demon visited me last night and tried to tear out my insides for several hours and uh he's like so they know we're coming it's gonna be a good day <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> I, it just I, you just don't have that here like here yeah. we're like we think we did something wrong if it if if we encounter the demonic or it's like, God, why'd mm -hmm. you let, why'd you let that happen? Like, why'd you let me get attacked? Or, you know, or we yeah. think that that person was spiritually something, there was a door open or something that allowed that. And it's just in, in there, that world. And it was the same with Heidi Baker's ministry and talking to this missionary and stuff. It's just like, that's just part of, part of it is like you, when you, and, and David actually said, he said, you know, most of the people, you know, and that you look up to have compromised and they don't, they don't walk in that because they've actually compromised along the way and not compromise like, like they've, you know, had a moral failure, but compromised in the sense of they came up against that and then decided, well, if I stay over here or stay at this place that I won't have to face that. 
And he was just, he said, you know, the perseverance uh, and patience of the demonic is where we typically fail in the U.S. is because, you know, the demonic is, is very patient and very calculated. And they're not just these stupid, you know, cartoon devils running around, but they like actually know how, how to fight you. And he's just like, you know, you, they have patience. And if you actually take on hell, you're going to be confronted with hell. And you've got to be able to stand. And you've got to be able to have that boldness to stand against it. And it's not about, you know, you may think, a lot of times you think you've won the war. And then it comes back. And it's in those moments when it comes back after you, you thought you were done with it. And you got to stand again. It's like those are the moments where it's... You either compromise and back down or you stand against it again. And that's when people get sick and, you know, people get attacked demonically. And there were so many, especially with the witchcraft, so many stories. Like down there, they, one of the ways that the witch doctors kill you is they'll um, grind up bewitched human bones and put it in your food. And so you don't know and you eat it and then in your stomach, it turns into a literal snake and eats you, like attacks you from the inside and kills you. Um, and they do, they cut the people open and there's a snake in their body and just crazy stuff. Like this is the kind of like down there constantly people turn into animals. Um, and, and a lot of them aren't earthly animals or like exaggerated animals. Like he, t- David talked about one of them appeared as a six foot wide bat to him and was cursing him and stuff. And it was one of the witch doctors and just craziness and you know being willing to stand against that another one he was on on horseback and a creature attacked him that looked like sasquatch and was trying to tear his heart out of his chest and this was as as real as you and me like physical sasquatch and he was punching it and (laughs) it at the same time and uh at the same time his son who was 12 at the time was being attacked by uh, the other warlock there was two of them trying to kill them and they were not in the same place, but his son started getting attacked by a, something that looked like a pterodactyl. Wow. And they they individually were standing against these things, rebuking them and fighting them off until they disappeared. And it's just like that that level, and he told some stories of churches in the U.S., but most churches would rather not confront any of that and just kind of like, well, they can be over there. We'll let the demonic, they can have that space over there and we'll just leave them there and not mess with them. And he just is not okay with that. He's like, if I see hell, I'm confronting it. So the thing is, it's so simple. Like he simplifies it so much that going there and being around him, I had absolutely no fear of any of, you know, these, obviously like these things are terrifying and they're awful, but at the same time, the blood of Jesus became so much more real to me. The name of Jesus became so much more real. Where I'm so used to hearing the blood of Jesus, Jesus, the blood of Jesus, Jesus. But it's it's just people saying it just to say it, you know. But hearing him talk about the blood of Jesus, hearing him talk about Jesus and Holy Ghost, you know, it it became so much more real. It carried life. Yeah. And uh, when we were there, I had a, a, a witchcraft dream. And it was my first dream where I was resurrecting someone. And in the dream, I was fighting witches. And I was not afraid. And I woke up from the dream feeling 
very victorious and powerful, <laughs> which is funny because <laughs> I've had which <laughs> right. I've had dreams like that, but I've woken up really, really scared and just like whimpering and crying, you know. But this time I woke up and I was like, yes. And then it was like I heard somebody saying to me, "You should be scared." And I heard that, and I was like, "No, no, I am not scared." <laughs> no and way. so, it, I mean, I wrote down that dream and everything, and now, like, I'll read it sometimes, and I'll be like, "Yes, I defeated the witches." But it's just like really cool because I, I felt like the dream was just—it um, was a way for me to just see like how much power the blood of Jesus carries. Because in the dream, it was the blood of Jesus that defeated the witches, and mm. so that happened while we were there. But just before that, like, I kept getting just hit with the revelation of the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, like how powerful it is. But yeah, he just simplifies it so much. His message is always Jesus, Jesus Christ heals and saves. That's always his message. Everywhere we went, Everywhere. he yeah. would always say that Christ Jesus Christ heals and saves. Yeah, he's alive. And he would tell people, what's the same message I always preach? Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ heals and saves. And he would always go back to that. And he would like, you know. It doesn't change. Right. He would do a message off of one scripture or two. And it would always come back to that. But it was so real and so alive. He preached for like 10 minutes. Yeah. And then everyone would just come up and he'd hug him and pray for him. And it just felt like Jesus in the crowds. Yeah. It was powerful. And man, yeah, just being around that. It just changes you. Like, there's no way you can't be changed by that because Mm -hmm. his presence is tangible and this man is so real. Like, he's living it out. He's not just saying it. You're watching it happen right before your eyes. Yeah. And he's just as happy in those environments as he is in the conferences or anywhere else. Like, you know, he could be in a conference of 10,000 people or in a house with five of the Aztecs loving them. And he'll, you know... He's the same David. He's the same passion. Same, yeah. You know, he doesn't. He's not too good for it or too big for it. And I also want to say, with the boldness and everything, like that's a gift from God. Like it's not. It's not human emotion. I've seen so many times people try to work up a human emotion of wanting to take on witchcraft or, you know, whatever. And you just God has to be real to you in order to do that stuff. And it's when when God becomes more real then your fear of dying, right. then you can have that kind of boldness. Mm-hmm. And and it's in that. It's like when you, the more real God has become to you, you can face that stuff. And it's like, even if it kills me, like I know who my God is, yeah. like it's not going to win. Like even if I was to die, it's like the work's going to continue. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's a different mindset. Yeah, that's basically the same thing Catherine Coleman said about healing. Like They get healed and Jesus becomes more real to them than their sickness. Yeah, so good. Yeah, so let's see. Let's wrap it up here. So let's take uh, some major takeaways from both of you, and then we'll we'll pray out. Shifted you the most, or yeah, um, touched well, you the most. Honestly, I mean, it's the brokenness for the gospel, and just for yeah, it, it was really hard because it felt like he took every religious stupid thing in our world and revealed it for how religious and stupid it is, and then we were brought back into this world. <laughs> And so it's it's been a really hard transition. I mean, mission trips typically are, but it's not in the way that 
most are where it's like yeah. why do i have nice things why do i have food when other people don't like you i'm not doing anything that, at my desk all day yeah you feel <laughs> that, like american guilt and like i should be preaching the gospel and not sitting here in a cubicle mm-hmm. um but it isn't it hasn't been that it's been it's been like what are we doing um like i need this to be real you know here in this world too um and so it's been right. kind of adjustment I think, though, honestly, one of the things, other than, like, that aside, that was the most important thing, is the brokenness for the gospel and just wanting to see people touched. And since then, I mean, our last fire was one of the most powerful ministry times I think I've ever had, just the way God moved um, through us and under our hands, which is so humbling because, like I said in the other podcast, like, there's nothing we did um, other than get around these people. Like, it's it's not the amount of fasting or praying. You know, we haven't done anything to make that jump that much except for getting around these people but the other thing he said this to us and i had never heard this before and this is every day i've thought about this since being back he said he was talking he took us out in his trees and he's got all these orange he's got an orange grove and he was so excited to show us he's driving us in his truck going through all of them and he said he was like look at all the fruit because there's some more fruit the trees are actually way down there's so much fruit um and he said, this is what, in America, you guys don't understand. He said, in the Bible, it said, get the fruit in the field and then build the house. And it's, it's Proverbs twenty four twenty seven, 27. Um, but it's, it's basically like, you need to establish fruit in your life. Like, actually get something that starts to work and where there's fruit that can feed you and feed others. And then you build around it. Wow. You, you don't, like, and he said here, you know, he said in America, we do the opposite. We build the house, we gain a bunch of debt doing building the house, and then we never actually get to the field to have the fruit because we're so much in debt. And I've seen the same thing, you know, in, in, in church settings, it's typically like we recognize we don't have fruit in an area, so we build a program and we build something to make that happen, and then it never actually works. <laughs> and so it, it's the same thing. It's like, no, you actually need to get some fruit in your life, get stuff going. You know, if you want to have a ministry, like actually see people healed like in your day-to-day life actually pray pray for people be loving people you know become that hero in people's lives and then out of that you can build a ministry but a lot of people do it the opposite they start making a ministry name and get their nonprofit, and they announce it and they start doing facebook live videos and all this stuff and it's like <laughs> it's like you know you're not there's nothing god god doesn't rest on you like heaven isn't on you for that and so it's, it really is get the fruit of the field, get God, go after God with everything you have, get heaven resting on you. Then when you walk into a situation, you can actually shift it because you're, you're there and because God's with mm-hmm. you. And then out of that, yeah, build a ministry, build something that actually can, he, he was talking about how structures help sustain that or help, help that work. But you have to have that working first before you build a structure around it. Right. And not the opposite. Yeah, for me, I would have to say, uh, I mentioned the blood of Jesus in the name of Jesus. Those two mm-hmm. things, I came back in every day, every day. I declare the blood of Jesus in the name of Jesus over different things in in my life, um, over my day. It, it's so different, and it's, I, I don't know, it, it's just different to me now. It actually carries, it carries life, where before it was just like, oh yeah, cool. So there's that. And then the other thing is steadfastness. I came back with just this new reality and revelation of how important it is to have a steadfast spirit and 
and to not give up, not walk away. Because this trip happened, you know, it happened because of our pursuit. It happened because, you know, we've been so consistent with honoring and honoring Mm -hmm. the anointed, honoring those who have paved the way, who have paid a price, you know, and it all of that has been so consistent and we've never given up on it. And even though we've been through a lot the past, you know, four or five years um, up until this point, it's like, it's worth it. It's worth it in the end. And him talking about the patience of demons, I thought, man, that is so crazy because we live in a world where it, you know, it's like a microwave generation. We want everything ready in like two minutes or less. And with God, it's like, uh, yeah, it's not always like that. You're not going to start your ministry, you know, in the next month and it's going to take off and it explodes and everything's awesome. It's like, there's a process to go through. And I just, I want to take a hold of strongly of what it means to stand firm and stay and just go with it and run and not give up. So steadfastness is just, it's huge for me right now. Well, especially seeing David's been there 40 years. 40 right? years, hearing, yes. Hearing the stories at the beginning where there, there weren't even paved roads yet, and he would walk, you know, eight, nine hours to go up to a village to try to preach the gospel, and they'd beat him up until he's unconscious and leave him somewhere. He'd wake up, and he'd walk back down, you know, wow. eight hours, eight, you know, eight, nine hours, get home, and then go back and do it the next day same thing go up get beat up unconscious and he would do that until the gospel would break forth and now you know now we get to see it and it's this big ministry and all this impact on this fruit but he was you know it was hard for years the first about 20 years were extremely hard and mm-hmm. and to see how he persevered and to see his impact and we could tell so many more stories but um just that impact is steadfastness Wow. Let's pray out. So why don't we just pray for just again just a hunger for the nations and then just a boldness and just breaking us for the gospel and okay. pursuit of him. Yeah. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to bring a fresh revelation, a fresh revelation of the blood of Jesus, of the name of Jesus, and how we can carry this to the nations. Stir within us, stir within us everything, everything that honors you, that honors you and draws you in. Yeah, and I just, I I pray for every person listening right now that just, that has a desire for, um, just for the truth, for the raw gospel. Yeah, God, I just ask you to bring a, a fresh, just outpouring revelation of what that even means and how simple it is. Simplify things. Yeah, I just break off any confusion that people may be experiencing with just how simple the gospel is. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you just pour just fresh revelation over them, that it's it's really just so simple to follow and walk with you. Yeah, right now, I just, Holy Ghost, I just ask for a a baptism of fire, Mm -hmm. just a fire for the nations, a a fiery hunger that just burns and consumes. God, let there just be, for everyone listening, just such a passion and a breaking for the real gospel. 
God, break us for the gospel. Break us even more for the gospel. And Jesus, just begin to give us your heart in a fresh way with uh, with with the balance not this this weird religious thing but the real thing where we get wrapped up in you wrapped up in you and we we have a hunger to see souls saved to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and we see this the the necessity and just an overflow of compassion in our hearts for to feed the poor and you know take care of the orphans and widows god let that be a reality in our lives, God. And just mark even, let this podcast even begin to mark people to go to the nations, give them dreams, give them visions, open the doors, connect them to the right people and remove the wrong people out of their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. We bless you. We bless you. Tell us what you want us to speak about next. Tell us your favorite stories in the comments below. Share this. Subscribe. And be blessed. We'll see you next time on the Fire Podcast. Ryan and Milka, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.